All right. We're live, guys. So we appreciate you for coming and taking time out of your day. So the way this podcast we want to do, we're just going to ask questions. It's all about you. You're the spotlight. All about me. All about you. Okay. We're going to ask you questions, opinions, and stuff that's going on. And then, yeah, all about you. You're the spotlight. You got all the time. Okay. So just start off with saying your name, your office, you know, all your credentials, you know, a little background, where you went to school, all that stuff. Okay. Name, Dr. Britt Lewis, uh, where I went to school, North Carolina E&T State University in Greensboro, North Carolina. Um, I serve as the Associate Vice President for Student Affairs at JMU. Um, my portfolio in particular is diversity, equity, inclusion, and accessibility. Um, and I'm in my third academic year at JMU. And how do you feel being at JMU like so far from you know your first year versus you know being year three? Well, year one was COVID, yeah. so everything was remote, everything was virtual. So I didn't feel like I got a really good grasp of the campus. I mean, I I did know some of the issues I was walking into um, with the pandemic and racial pandemic in our country at, at that time and just what was happening on campus but I didn't really get a lot of chance to do this right interact sit and interact with students not in person at least um, year two COVID was still a thing but my office moved to the student success center Seamus moved to the student success center so more visibility more chances to interact with the student body I think year three I've got my footing um, JMU was a lot bigger than where I was prior to JMU. Um, so I was a little skeptical about coming here because I felt like sometimes when you get a certain size, it's hard to keep that community-based interaction. But I think even though we're 22,000 students, we still have somewhat a small campus feel. Going off that, I have some kind of question. Just like, what made you choose JMU out of all the schools? Because you have previous experience at an HBCU. Obviously, you're involved in diversity. Like, you want to to a, you know, majority white campus, but what made you choose JMU specifically, if you have a reason for choosing it? It was the position, actually, um, and then JMU, if I'm honest. Um, I was not job searching, but, um, so I was in Virginia before I came here, and I had a friend who worked at Mary Baldwin, and he was in an AVP role for student affairs at Mary Baldwin, and he had actually worked with Dr. Miller previously at GW. So he had some concept of who Tim was and of JMU, and he sent me the job that I'm in now. This was right before COVID started. Um, and I wasn't, I didn't take a look at it at first. He texted me like two weeks later and said, did you look at the job at JMU? And I went back and looked at it, and it basically was everything that I bring to the table. Um, I was a CDO, a Chief Diversity Officer at Randolph College in Lynchburg before I came here, but I was also doing work in student affairs. So... This position at JMU really married my diversity work and my student affairs background into one position. Um, and I had been a director of a center like Seamus prior. I had been a director of a center like Soji prior. ODS was a learning curve. I had partnered and worked with the disability services units, other places I had worked, but I'd never worked in the unit. Um, so I'm always up for a challenge. So this position offered me a chance to do work that I had experience in and also to challenge my abilities to grow my uh, experiences. Um, just to clarify, um, so are you kind of in charge of the student committee as well or how does that work for the DEI student committee? Because I know there is one, 
So I'm, I'm not sure. We can cut the this advisory board. Yes. Yes. So okay. myself and my engagement fellow, Kiki Burns, we advise the um, advisory board. Okay. Okay. And another question: How can we better encourage like BIPOC students on campus to like be active in these uh, committees? And how can we better like let them feel like they will be like their voices are going to be heard? I think one of the things is just always making sure that these opportunities are known. I think there's a lot of committees, there's a lot of um, DEI positions within student orgs, and just bringing more visibility to the those opportunities is important for students, not just our BIPOC students, but all of our students to know that these um, opportunities exist for students to voice their opinions, their feelings, their perspectives of JMU, right? So a lot of times this advisory board is a chance for me to hear from students directly how they navigate this campus and what they want to see. Um, I serve on President Alger's cabinet, so it's also a good way for me to convey back to administration. These are things I'm hearing from students. Um, my advisory board was kind of birthed out of the Black Leadership Coalition, um, which was also started by students. Um, Norman Jones and a few other students started that group. Um, and out of that birthed the advisory board. <laughs> Norman was a change agent, and and where where he saw need, he would he would step in. No, but there's Norman right there. So I had a question about. Um, so I guess you could you could explain to everybody exactly what is your like role, and mm -hmm. what are those like what is that branch? Because I know you do a lot. I feel like people don't know like exactly like that that one like the one said like I am this type. I don't think there's one sentence. No, like, right? no I'm saying like as an example. Yeah. So, um, I don't know how to answer that, David. What I <laughs> what I will say is, I oversee CMS, SOGI, and Office of Disability Services, um, and there's a lot of DEI work that happens on campus, right? So I have a colleague in academic affairs, who some of you may or may not have met, Dr. Narkita Sparkman-Key. She came from Old Dominion, and so essentially she and I kind of do similar roles, but on two different sides of the campus. So I'm in student affairs, working mostly with students and student-facing departments, and she's in academic affairs, working mostly with faculty and curriculum, and looking at things that, um, ways in which we create diverse experiences for students in the classroom. Um, and how do we work with faculty to create those experiences and diversify the curriculum um, that students are getting in the classroom. So it's not just the co-curricular side, which my offices support, so programming, services, resources, um, creating initiatives for out-of-the-classroom experiences for students, but also partnering that with Dr. Key's area of curriculum. Then you also have Dr. Carter Hoyt's position, who is new to JMU, and her position is also new to JMU. Uh, prior to her, we didn't have a VP for DEI. So she's looking at the institution as a whole. What are ways that we institutionalize DEI efforts across campus, across every division of JMU? Uh, so not just in student affairs, not just in academic affairs, but thinking about human resources, thinking about the folks that work in facilities and maintenance and housekeeping. How are we creating equitable experiences in those areas? How are we thinking about um, the ways we hire people um, at the university. How are we thinking about ways we recruit students? So all of us have a role to play. I see myself more as a student-facing, student liaison to administration, um, student voice of concern, 
Um, I think that's sort of how I've leaned into my role since I've been here. So with these new positions coming up, do you feel like, you know, Jamie's moving, you know, in the progressing and moving forward in all that, in those talks? You know, everybody knows the history of, you know, JMU, you know, how long it took just for the yard to go up and all that effort for that. Do you feel like Jamie's going in a good space from, from it? Or, no, it's, it's, it could say he's a lot of work, but is there something happening? I do. I think there's progression. Yeah. Like, since I've been here, I think I have seen us move forward because my role is also inaugural. So there was no one in my position before me. So there's no roadmap, really, yeah. to tell me how to do this job. Every day is a new day, and I find my way through it um, every day. Um, I think that in bringing on new roles, it does show progression. And I think it's important that we capitalize on that progression and really move things forward. And it's not just we have the positions, but how do we utilize the, the folks in these roles um, how do we engage with the campus community as a whole? Because all of us bring expertise to our positions. All of us bring a background knowledge to the work that we do. And so I think the fact that two years into me being here, Dr. Carter Hoyt's role exists, shows me that the institution wants to create change. Dr. Carter, Dr. Um, Sparkman Key's position existed when I got here. The person that was in the role just transitioned out of it into something else on campus. Um, but it's still a relatively new role as well. Um, and then there's another position in Dr. Carter Hoyt's area um, that Art Dean is in, which is another AVP role. And so each of us has our own work that we do, but I think all of it is needed. Mm-hmm. And I think because of the size of JMU, there are so many needs and concerns and perspectives, right? Each of us that does DEI work sees the work in a different way and we bring a lens that's that's different um when i interviewed here i remember the last question they asked me is why should we choose you i think there were three candidates interviewing for my position and i probably said something like because you need me i remember remember Um, you telling me that when you first got here yeah and and i was honest in that comment because i don't think that oftentimes college students get to engage with a person who walks in their truth all the time like, I acknowledge my blackness, I acknowledge my queerness, I acknowledge I grew up middle class, I acknowledge that I went to college in um, unapologetic black space. That's who I am, right? And I show up myself all the time. I create space for students to talk to me, I create space to share about who I am openly, and for, as, I, as we talk about le- our students leaving here and living meaningful lives, that are diverse, we have to model that. We have to pr- give you the skills and tools to to navigate folks who are different, who show up different from what you're used to as we prepare you for the world outside of JMU. Okay. <laughs> but I do have a question, it's a Um, well, in the area of SOGI, we need to continue growing the staffing, right? We only have three, three staff members in that office. Um, and part of that, I think, for all colleges and universities is, for LGBTQ students, it's not one of those things you can track easily, right? You can track how many black students we have. You can track how many Latinx students we have. You can track how many students we have who are white. 
those are things that are captured in the application. We don't capture data on LGBTQ experiences. I think the climate study that we just done was one of the first opportunities to really capture some of that data to, to acknowledge the students that are on our campus. And so higher ed is generally very data focused and where there's not data, people don't always make informed decisions. So I think that's an area where we could grow. Um, all of us that do DEI work will, will say that we need more staffing, more budget. That's not a, that's not limited to JMU. That is a higher ed concern, I think, uh, because the work never stops. And the work gets more and more complex every year. As you think about students with disabilities, those disabilities become more and more nuanced and more and more complex every year. Uh, I've been in this field for 12 years, and this is the first time I've seen so many students who maybe identify on the spectrum or identify as neurodivergent or have mental health challenges. So the intersections of the identities of our students is very prevalent. Students are not just coming in with, I've got this one identity. They're intersecting across multiple um, identity groups, which creates opportunity and it creates challenge because the institution has to create avenues to support uh, the students. So I think that's that's one way. I think JMU, just like some other schools, see DEI um, as it's your job, it's my job, or it's Dr. Key's job, or it's Dr. Carter Hoyt's job. I don't think everyone in leadership sees it that way. I don't think President Alger sees it that way. I've heard him share how he sees it as all of our work to do. But I think there are folks in our community that say, well, that's something that Brent's area handles. Not seeing that, oh, but I'm a faculty member and if I don't create a space that's brave and safe in my classroom for students, that's also a challenge that I need to work through for the students I'm working with and supporting. So I, th I think some of it is higher ed and I think some of it is the culture of PWY, um, particularly when you talk about race. Um, it is a challenge, but it is also a space of opportunity if we see it as an opportunity to um, create space and opportunity for everyone. I would say that the Task Force on Racial Equity done a really good job of just honing in on that one topic <coughs> of race and not just trying to um, look at other things to dispel the fact that we needed to talk about race. <laughs> Or is it just like a community job? So I that I remember community. that because I remember yeah. I said I got a lot of, I got a little, little, a little spice in it because I was like, oh, got some spice. I, yeah, because I think like you can't you can't just sit there and say oh I feel underrepresented and not do nothing about it. And I brought that up during our podcast, saying like yes, there's an organization that it's a, it's a social organization. But at the same time, yes, enjoy it. I mean, college, but sometimes there's work that has to be done, not for you, but for the people who are coming. Mm -hmm. The people are gonna keep coming. Mm -hmm. And we talked about that, and that's, that was my take. Like, I mean, yes, if the faculty's not going to do it, and the student's not going to do it, no one's going to want to do it. You know, I feel like students lead that forefront, and they have to lead it, even though it's not easy. I remember that, because I, I was like, I was in my head, I was like, what? Yeah, we shouldn't have to lead it, but we do. Because yeah, it's not even that we shouldn't or we should. Like, 
somebody has to, you yeah. know. Your biggest advocate for yourself. Exactly. Yourself and, and if you look at history, students always mm -hmm. have. If you look at movements mm -hmm. where things have changed on college campuses, or, or globally or nationally, college students have led it. You know, I think back to my own institution, North Carolina A&T, four students sat at a Woolworth um, food counter and said, we're not moving, we're staying here, we're not going through the back door. And that helped kick off the civil rights movement across the country. So college students have always been at the forefront of social justice. Um, and I, I think our students today are, are very much the same. I see, I see like how there are students who are, who are ready, like Norman and all those, I see several people who are. I feel like recently people are content and they're like content, they find their space and they find their mm -hmm. bubble mm -hmm. and they're happy and then they don't see the bigger picture. I don't know if anybody else feel that way, but I feel like I see oh. that in a lot of organizations like that are under Siemens. They're, they're in their spot, they're in there with their people, but they don't see the bigger picture. I don't know if that's just me, any thoughts? I'm going off that same topic of just like student-led stuff, and if you want to share, so whoever's going to be listening, but like any positions that will be opening up soon, or positions that are student, mm. that are available to students, that if somebody wants to be that person to make that change, be a Norman, be be boost at the counter, like is there any positions that will be opening for that? I don't know that there's positions, I think you just do it, mm. right? I think. I think you just I think you just create the change, right? Siemens has orgs like NAACP, for example, that have historically been change agents, right? Um, you think about an org like LSA, BSA, ASU on these campuses, they've historically created change, a group like um, Shades of Pride, Madison Equality. Um, it just takes you to hone in on a what is your what is the thing right what is the thing that you want to see changed and how do you go about creating that change and who do you enlist to help you in that right students don't have to do it all themselves right that's why we're here if you see an issue like norman was good for coming to my office and saying hey i see this thing it needs to be addressed day range was the same way hey there's this thing it needs to be addressed I've worked with several students on our campus who were just vocal. And I think that's that's where you start because it, there may be instances where you have to lead the change alone, but there's so many of us, not even folks, just folks that do DEI work. There's faculty who will rally and support behind an initiative that students want to do. I just think it's where you have identified a need. I'll give you an example. I had a student come to me maybe in September, who said, Dr. Lewis, there are no hair care products for black students. And I said, okay, let's address it together. And I contacted Dr. Miller and said, hey, I've had a student come to me with this concern. How can we work with the institution to address this? And within this semester, we addressed it. So, you know, it's just bringing things forward now everything doesn't always happen that easily or that quickly but there are things that if it's a need and students acknowledge that hey this thing would would make my experience so much easier here because everybody doesn't have a car to get to sally's everybody doesn't have a car to get to beauty world right and for me as a college student it's not even something i would have thought about because at a and t we had all of those things in our bookstore 
it was it was part of the culture, right? So every institutional space is different. Yeah, I do remember like, coming to GMU as a freshman because now I'm back as a sophomore. I was like, oh my God, like, what am I going to do when I take my braids out? Mm-hmm. I was like, is there even going to be splash? I remember like looking up, I was like, what's the nearest one? So it's Beauty World, and then the next one, like, Charlottesville. I was like, oh my God. So just in the fact that upcoming freshmen have that opportunity that they can just go to the bookstore. They just go to the bookstore. Or Mr. Hoodie, Chips. Pick up some, <laughs> and pick up some hair care stuff. I, that's a really good move that I was very excited to see. And for some people, they're like, Oh, that that's 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 something simple, but it's not not like for us it's like monumental. Yeah, for yeah, it's monumental that you've got do rags and edge control and bonnets on campus. Influence of upcoming students to want to come to JMU. I know they go to the books and like, wow, I see myself here because something small like that is like here and available for me. So how to bring up day rims? Always in their always in their steps. Or is it their side? Oh, side? my wonderful engagement fellow. <laughs> <laughs> I see how you uh, you brought up. I didn't. I didn't realize that that kind of stuck me when you said like you can't track the stuff with Soji. It's very hard. Yeah. So, what do you guys do then for that? Like, how do you? Since it's not that easy, like, what are the steps for that? Like to try. We really have not tracked it, yeah. right? I mean, we have the data that, we, that we've that we gotten from the Campus Climate Survey. Mm-hmm. So that will help us a bit in terms of saying, this is what we need. And anecdotally, we can guesstimate mm-hmm. how many LGBTQ-identified students we have based on our student population. But it's a guess, yeah. right? We can we can assume, based on our, our, our knowledge, yeah. about how many students identify in the community on our campus but it's not, it's not as easy to capture as race or even disability status. You can sometimes track that um, even for employees, right? When we apply for jobs, we have to. There's a line that says, "Are you a person with a disability? Yes or no. Are you uh, a person who is a veteran? Yes or no." So you, we're capturing some data, but not all data uh, in terms of diversity. So it, it creates challenge and it also creates space for people to say, well, actually, maybe we don't need this particular office because we don't know how many LGBTQ students we have. But the, the, the thing about it is that offices like CMIS and SOGI don't, and ODS don't just support students, although that is who we were birthed to support and uh, affirm. We work a lot with employees, right? SOGI provides consultations for academic departments, we provide consultations to faculty members who may identify in the community and want to know where are resources out in Harrisonburg and in the Valley to feel affirmed in that part of their identity. Black faculty come, black faculty and staff come to see us all the time and say, "I just need my fix of blackness for a moment," and and that's that's the norm, right? It's it's just very much part of the culture. So for ODS, we really only have an account of the people who actually register with the office. So there's probably thousands of students on our campus who have disabilities that we don't know about, right? We know the <laughs> students who register with us for services. So, um, and then for students with mental health challenges, same thing. 
The counseling center can track those who register with the counseling center and seek a counselor. Or they probably could pull data for timely care, but anyone that's not seeking the services, we generally don't know about. And then I guess I had another question. We're kind of all related. Like, you know, we have like NAACP and BSA and stuff under CMS. For ODS, is there like an organization that really goes? There is a student org, but it's not very active because students with disabilities generally don't, on our campus, generally don't organize together and say, we want to do a program or we want to sometimes people don't want to share that they have a disability oftentimes people have um, invisible disabilities and they don't feel comfortable with sharing that but I think if if, if, if students led something like that I would love to see do you think our students with disabilities organized. Do you think like students like would turn up for something like that? Like some would, some would not. Like there's, I could think of a, a segment of our students who who would not engage in that. Um, okay. We're seeing more and more students who are introverted and not really interested in like programming or that type of organizing they just kind of want the service and they, you know they want their accommodation and that's it they're not looking for that type of group setting but we have affinity groups in CMIS and SOGI so I would like to one day see an affinity group maybe out of ODS where students but it would have to be student organized I don't think they would engage if we created it. It would have to be student organized. Since we're on the topic of ODS, I heard, I don't know, we were talking about this, how, how is it looking? I know I heard, I heard that they need a bigger space, that there's been more people. Ready. We need a bigger testing space. Yeah, that's yes. what Yeah, so we're, we're working on that because more students are, um, identifying that they have disabilities and one of our number one accommodation needs is testing more time and less distraction for tests and in the ODS space there's only about 20 seats and it's full all the time so yeah we're definitely looking at how do we expand our testing space in ODS for to accommodate more students that also includes partnership with academics right because some students feel comfortable taking their test in an academic space. So like if you're in Cobb, some students feel comfortable in Hartman. So how do we work with the faculty there to create some space, even in the academic colleges, where students can have extended time and less distraction, and it doesn't always have to come through one of the ODS spaces. But the national data is, is trending that more students are coming to college and self-identifying that they have disabilities. I don't think there's more students with disabilities. I think there's more students self-identifying that they have disabilities um, because it's it's an area where you have to self-identify. And oftentimes people come out of high school and think because I had an IEP in high school that it just moves over and it doesn't. As, the, as a college student, you literally have to come to the office and say, I need to seek out services. I remember I used to have uh, I used to have a test run out loud to me in middle school, but I hated it. 
I would rather fail tests than go and They go and ask for the help. You know, some of our some of our college students are that way too, right? There's there's probably thousands of students who need our services, but don't seek it out for that very reason you're talking about. Counseling too, you know. As I think about being black in our community, we don't talk about counseling very much. Like I was having a conversation with a colleague earlier. My dad died when I was 17, so I was graduating high school and getting ready to go to college. No one told me about the counseling center, right? No one told, I knew that it existed, but I didn't know what it had done. So I went through all four and a half years of college with that grief, with that emotional baggage and never processed it until years later as an adult when I had to pay for counseling, right? So it's it's really important that we have these conversations in, in our communities because these services are so needed. And as college students, you already pay for it in, in your bill. So like use the services that are provided to you by the institution because you're paying for it. Me and Lex talk about it all the time about going to counseling. Black men <laughs> Absolutely. They do scared <laughs> to reach out. They won't reach out. And it's it's not all, but it's definitely it's definitely a thing that I wish we talked more about oh, in yeah. our in our communities because so many things happen in life and we just keep going and and what happens is you tuck it away it it doesn't go away you compartmentalize it and put it somewhere like my dad's death didn't go away i just tucked it away and and went to college but there were moments in there were moments in my life where things would happen and i would be like i need to process this like i i need to unpack how this impacted me it's true. Like, you know, in the Latinx community, we don't we don't do that. Like, it's we we very much like mentality is very much put it away, keep pushing, keep going. Like, you know, there's nothing else that they can do besides work, mm-hmm. you know, make a living and everything. So it's just been mentalized that we just don't really address it, don't really talk about it. So I'm really glad that we're having this conversation to get it out there because I really think it's important that no matter what, I honestly just go 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 to counseling. Like you know, t- talk to somebody about your feelings. Like you know, it doesn't necessarily have to be about anything deep. Just like talk about like anything. Like I I I'm I'm just like advocate for it too because you know talk about your feelings. Like it's, it's gonna be fine. So and I feel like it's worse since I'm gaining campus specifically. Like our black population, our Latinx population is so small. Mm. News travels so fast. Mm-hmm. So even if you go to ODS, you mentioned the one person. You're like, hey, I went to ODS today. It's so nice. They may tell somebody yep. and everybody. And if you feel like that's embarrassing that you went to ODS, then you would never go back. Because mm-hmm. you like, now everybody knows that I have whatever this, Whatever disability. Yeah, and that's so embarrassing. The I feel like that's also why people avoid because they're like, somebody's going to find out then everybody I know is going to find out and that's going to be, for them, embarrassing. You can ask anyone. I am the number one fan of ODS. <laughs> I'm the number one fan of timely care. Mm-hmm. ODS has helped me so much when it came to just my professors being a little bit more understanding Mm -hmm. even though they don't know like everything that's going on they're just like literally you have to be understanding like here's the paperwork you have to like figure Mm -hmm. like you have to give me more time like or an assignment oh she wasn't in class well this is probably why so no more advocate but I will say Dr. Lewis is there going to be a way for ODS to become I would say more accessible because the steps that you have to get through to become ODS approved you have to go to a psychiatrist or a physician of some sort to you have to be like medical. You need documentation. Yeah. yeah. 
So is there going to be steps in the future for people who may not have those resources, you know, to see someone and the counseling center is already overbooked and they can't go to the counseling center? <coughs> is there going to be something in the process, like an in-between sort of thing, if they can't, like, have that official documentation? So they will always need the official documentation. Okay. However, we've been working with a lot of community agencies to work with our students to do the testing, uh, particularly okay. if you can't afford the testing. That's uh, that's an access barrier. Yeah. So ODS, if, if any student has a challenge with getting the testing done, go to ODS. They can refer you okay. to a vendor that we've worked with in the past that will do almost free testing for students who need um, the documentation. Okay. I know even for me, like to get it done, there's like a sixty dollar fee for my doctor's office, which is like nothing. It's like sixty dollars for this one piece of paper may be detrimental and say to, never to mind one somebody else. Yeah, I'm saying never mind right now. Sixty dollars. <laughs> so no, but it's actually true. Like sixty dollars can put a student out of so much. Like students just don't have like six money to just drop for like medical stuff because I know like for me like I know I wanted to do an appointment for the healthcare center and it just like they said that there was going to be charges and I was like I don't even have twenty five dollars to my name right now I can't really like drop things so I think it's like really important to have like free access free mm -hmm. accessible access like and all this um, especially like mental health and everything so hope we can progress a little bit and everything and and I want to go back to timely care. Um, I think timely care is a really good service for our students. Um, sometimes I've had students of color come to me and say, hey, it's not that many counselors in our counseling center who I feel connected to. Well, use timely care because when you use timely care, you can literally go in and self-identify with all of your social identities and they will pair you with a counselor that can understand and relate to the social identities that you want um, to feel affirmed in. Um, I've worked with several students who identify in the LGBTQ community and students of color who have said they have found that connection through timely care. Um, so I, I highly recommend if you're nervous about being seen going in the counseling center, make an appointment with timely care. <laughs> is, sorry, uh, is Timely Care an app or is it? Yeah, it's an app, app and a website. Oh, okay. So I can either, like, there's one time I couldn't make a session, like, on my laptop, so I literally just joined on my phone, mm -hmm. like, super quick. That's nice. And it's convenient. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah that's very is. nice. And you can do it morning, afternoon, evening, night. Even, night. <laughs> so cool. it's, it, you can center it around your schedule so it's not as limited as the times of the counseling center. Yeah, because I know, like, I see a therapist, but I see them, like, they're from, like, my hometown. So, like, most of the time I talk to her in, like, in college is, like, telehealth. Yeah. But not a lot of people can do that or, you know, where they were, like, they don't have telehealth. Mm -hmm. that, so that's nice that that's here for our students. I like that. Yes. Please, please use it. I know for me, I found my therapist at the very beginning of the school year. I was super nervous because they say it's only 12 sessions, but even that's kind of like up to the provider. Like mm -hmm. I've been seeing Brandon once once a week or like once every other week, literally since August. And that's obviously more than 12. And he's able to like his schedule is like nighttime sessions. So it's like 10 p.m. I'm done with class, done with homework. It's just like talking to a friend and 
he's black and he's amazing, so he relates to a lot of things. He went to a PWI, mm -hmm. so it's just, yeah. What other questions do you have for me? Y'all haven't asked me anything like super hard. Let's see. I'm not saying, <laughs> I'm not saying turn up the heat either. I like, I like the vibe of our discussion. I did have a question about some of Virginia's new proposed policies. Uh oh. I didn't want to put you on the spot, though. Don't put me on the spot too much. <laughs> I, have to be, I have to be very um, politically correct in my response. But you can ask me. Yeah. So. <laughs> Unedited version. Um, so, I know one of the things Yunkin has proposed which would affect like higher education. So it would affect JMU is like students on sports teams would have to, they could only be on the team that is their like biological birth or like the one, I mean their biological sex. Sex is on their birth, yeah. Yeah. Um, so obviously that would like impact transgender students at JMU. How do you think like, you know, like Soji and CMIS like would be able to support those students even now with just like all the talk about that I can't imagine like how scary that must be well we spend a lot of time supporting students through multiple topics and challenges um, and I think Soji even though it's a small unit has done a really good job of just being available to do that mm -hmm. um, the thing that I I think there would be some steps that even whatever administration is is in place would have mm -hmm. to go through um, because I know that what you're mentioning is a state thing, mm -hmm. but I've done work in in the field for a while, and the NCAA has rules also mm -hmm. and regulations on how trans students transition into playing mm -hmm. in their sport, and so I think that would the NCAA would definitely have to be consulted mm -hmm. if those changes were made at a state level, mm -hmm. right? So I think there's a, a number of ways in which that conversation would have to happen. Mm -hmm. And I think the state in general um, would would all be engaged. Of course, we're, we're talking about our students, but every public institution yeah. would yeah. have, would weigh in. They'd mm -hmm. have a perspective on that. And even the private schools, even though they don't necessarily fall under the governor's office, mm -hmm. I think they would have a perspective, right? I mm -hmm. came from a private institution before I worked at JMU, and things were done a bit differently because we weren't a state institution. Mm -hmm. um, some of it I liked, some of it I didn't always, um, but some of it I did like because there was more flexibility, mm -hmm. right? There was more um, jurisdiction mm -hmm. for the campus, right? So as you think about LGBTQ issues, the institution I came from was connected to the Methodist Church. Well, the Methodist Church took a stance on LGBTQ identities that didn't align with Randolph. Mm -hmm. So Randolph disconnected from the, the Methodist Church. So mm -hmm. at a private institution, you could do that. Mm -hmm. As a public institution, yeah, you can't. You can't. Yeah. And I've dealt with some of this before when I was in North Carolina. So I, I ran a center like Soji when House Bill 2 happened in North Carolina, which was the bathroom bill, mm -hmm. right? And and we had to navigate how to how to ensure that our students felt safe mm -hmm. in a bathroom that affirmed their identities. Well, we were already creating gender inclusive restrooms and gender neutral restrooms on the campus, so we worked around it, mm -hmm. right? So there's always a how do we how do we follow this 
rule, but also create safety and affirmation for the students that mm-hmm. we are supposed to support. Yeah. And it's hard. Mm-hmm. It, it's really hard because in some instances, your public institutions' hands are tied in yeah. in many ways. So, it's funny that you asked that question. We are not as engaged in the in recruitment part of JMU. Um, the recruitment arm falls under enrollment management. We do engage some. Like, we're at open houses. We're at choices. We're at orientation. Um, sometimes institutions, uh, like high schools, will come not just for those things, but they'll come to tour. Um, like we had a high school from D.C. recently, Dunbar. Dunbar High School brought about 50 students to JMU. Um, and they came to Seamus as part of their time on campus. And it was a partnership between Seamus and admissions. And so sometimes we are engaged in those recruitment efforts to market JMU to minority students. Actually, last night we had an event on campus working with uh, College Access. Um, advisors from across the state of Virginia Um, and that was really good I spoke um, Art Dean spoke um, Sean Mooney who runs Centennial Scholars Valley Scholars and the new First Gen Center came and talked about the services and those scholarships Um, our director of financial aid was there and talked about scholarships that exist for students Um, so there are some things in the works Uh, we continue to meet with the new director of admissions well I guess she's not that new she's been here a year Um, but working with her on how do we recruit more diversity to JMU in a strategic way, right? So really looking at where do we go, um, even statewide, what areas are we in and what schools are we in? Um, the, the second piece to that is thinking about funding, right? Because it's one thing to be in front of students. The second piece is can we get you here and can you afford to be here um, will it be a good place for you financially because I left college with loans I would like to see my students not leave in debt I get the other side of that pension how do we keep them here now that part is where we come in and I think and then not just my areas but it's the institution right because we can recruit you but how do we keep you right it can't just be on Seamus and so gee and ODS, it's institutional. So that's where some of those things are talked about with Dr. Carter Hoyt and Dr. Sartman Key and faculty and every every department on campus has to buy in to supporting and affirming all students. Otherwise, certain students will have a different JMU experience and they won't stay. I've, I've interacted with several students of color who have said, I've almost transferred several times because of XYZ and and we talked through that right um, and, and and don't hear me saying that Seamus is not a home away from home for students because it is but we can't be the only resource um, that it, students are pointed to because for some students that's not their place 
Like that's that that's not where they feel like they're affirmed. Um, some of our athletes feel very affirmed in athletics, like with their with their friends, with their peers, with their teammates in athletics, and they never come to see us. And that's okay if you find your people, you find your support system where you are. But I think it's creating that sense of belonging for students and being really intentional about that helps with the retention. Um, what types of services do we provide to the point that the other student here made about um, funding, providing access to healthcare and to the resources that students need. Those things are what keep people here. Um, being available, having access to talk to a counselor, having access to talk to a administrator um, who sees you and cares about your experience. That's what matters. Like, honestly, my work is, my job is very administrative. But this part of it is what I love the most. Like, when Lex reached out, I was like, yes, I would love to do this. Um, does anybody have any more? Okay. I was just going to say, to close it off, what has been, like, share with us, like, your most favorite experience you have experienced so far in your position or at JMU? Mm, there's so many. I know. Okay, let's make it easy. Give us your least favorite <laughs> the one. And then you can, it'd be easier to say your favorite with your least favorite. The least favorite is the weather here. Oh, um, I'm from North Carolina where it's a little warmer. Um, and the Shenandoah Valley and the snow, it's cold <laughs> uh, all the time. And it snows here. And then I have to watch my email to see if JMU's going to close. Um, and that decision closing. usually, and that decision usually comes really slowly. Yeah, so, early in the morning. Yeah, that so that I would say is <laughs> the part I I don't like. Um, my favorite thing, I don't know, I don't know that I have one. Like I really enjoy the staff that I get to lead and support and work with. I really enjoy my colleagues. Um, I really enjoy my supervisor, who, although. I don't like walking through campus with him because we can't get anywhere. Dr. Miller is my supervisor. And every five steps is a stop. Can we take a picture? Can we talk to you? We, don't, we can't get anywhere when I go places with and him. Look, yeah, I'm out there. I'm like, no, we got to go. Later. I'm like, come on. Especially when it's cold. I'm like, come on. Let's go. Um, but I love the students, right? Um, we have good experiences. We have bad experiences. But students is what's always kept me in these jobs. I, I, I fell into higher ed by accident. Um, I went to college to teach K-12 and went to grad school and got an assistantship in housing and never left working with college students. I always thought my, my passion and calling was children. And I figured out in grad school that my calling was college students, both traditional and non-traditional. Um, so I enjoy the moments with students where I get to to pour into you and to learn about you and what you want to do while you're here and also how I can help support what you want to do when you leave here. Um, I have always been a person that likes to imagine the endless, imagine in the, the, what seems impossible. Um, I, I often will ask people, what is your dream job? Don't tell me what your major is. Tell me what your dream job is and, and, and how do we get you to that? Because you may not do anything with your major, but you got the degree. You got the paper. So then what do you want to do with your life? That's the that's been my favorite memories. You know, 
getting getting to know students and seeing them be successful. We talked about people like Norman and Day Renz and others. I have loved Josh Jones. I've loved watching them here and seeing what they graduate and go do. Kayla Edwards, mm-hmm. another former student who was here last night at yeah. the conference that I was talking about. My former students from other institutions invite me to weddings. They invite me to baby showers. They invite me to gender reveals. Have the stuff sometimes I don't want to go to. But my students become like family. It is more than just this, right? We become very connected, and that is the my favorite part of the job. Even when it's stressful, knowing that I'm making a difference and an impact in your life in whatever way that I do makes the job worth it. It's more of a, it's personal. It's it's a life for me. Like, it doesn't feel like work. You know, I'm here, we're here early mornings and late nights, right? Mm-hmm. I was here with Lex and them Wednesday night for a meeting. I was here last night to speak for our, our conference. I'm here tonight for Mix It Up. Mix it up. And it, it just, it's, it's what we do. Like, I've been with, I, it keeps me young. I've been with college students since I was in college. So my first job I was about 20, my first job in higher ed, I was like 24. And it was at where I went to college. So I still knew some of the students that were there. So it just, I felt like I've never left college. And then, you know, before we wrap this up, I've realized, you know, we have all these diversity and inclusion, we have all this stuff, but like, we, you know, we're SGA, we're part of the SGA diversity inclusion, but we don't really have, I mean, we should talk to you more often, I feel like, you know what I mean, mm-hmm. try to build that you relationship. You don't, I don't do <laughs> <laughs> Can you let me speak? <laughs> I'm talking to, about myself as a chair, yes. That, you know, we really don't have as the, you know, I was talking about a whore, and I don't want to bring an individual thing. She's so individual and selfish. Because me and Dr. Lewis are cool, so. See, look, her, look at her being selfish. It's, I'm talking about it's in general, dang. But yeah, like to just yeah, to have more, more frequently. Yeah, to have more, have that more that interconnectedness with y'all and with you know all the others, so we can you know make these create some goals for the next semester and see what we can do together. I mean, because you know, I mean, we can't do it separate. Why not do it together? I'd be happy to, and I think you probably in the spring should do something like this with Dr. Carter Hoyt and with. Dr. Smart McKee. They may have some very different perspectives from me, but I would I would be happy to do this type of thing where we sit down and look at your goals and what do you hope to achieve as a as a group this year and how can that align with the work that we are, that we're doing um, in the, in our departments. Yeah, we'll most definitely meet up and see what we come up with for the spring. And I have advised orgs like student like SGA in the past, so I'm happy to provide. Support, feedback, what do you think would be helpful? Because as a, like a committee, like we have things that we have to do. But I feel like since I stepped into this role a little later than normal, I feel like I feel like I'm not doing enough. Like as a whole, like I feel like what else can we do? Like what can we do not for just SGA but for the student body because that's who we represent. And I feel like I know I've been lost and I've told them that's how I felt. So you know, having you know, having you in our corner helping us out and trying to figure something out for the spring semester was very beneficial for us. It's me. For sure. Give me on your calendar. But, but that's all I have. Any other last 
We appreciate you for coming out, of Thank course. You so You're welcome. Thanks for asking. Of course. Well, that's it. That's all we have.